I think we find our purpose in, in our journeys. I agree with you. It's not a destination. We don't find our purpose in a destination. And because the destination should suggest that it's a goal, it's a dream, it's a, you've reached something. But I think our true purpose lies in the journey of success and failure. The problem is we've been, I think we've been conditioned to believe that success is where we find our meaning and our purpose. So we look for that all the time. We're always looking for success. We're looking for the results. And when we don't get that result, we kind of, we don't have our purpose. But when you learn that purpose is actually, is success and failure, and it's the journey that you're on, it takes away that anxiety and that expectation of the performance. Welcome to The Enrichment Project, Path to Purpose, recorded by the mad talent at Solid Gold Podcast. It is a series of unfiltered and insightful conversations with some of the most remarkable purpose-driven human beings who have all achieved, created, inspired, triumphed or challenged. And we have a great deal to learn from them. It is a quest to uncover and articulate the steps along the way to help you on your own journey of purpose. I am your host, Richard Wright, and I am delighted to have you with me Thank you for the gift of your time. Let's dive straight in. This is a big, exciting moment for me. I have one of my cricketing heroes in the studio with me. Uh, it's Gary Kirsten, international cricket coach, leadership consultant, philanthropist, entrepreneur, and uh, just an all-round amazing human being. So, Gary, welcome to the show. Thank you, Richard. Cool. Um, so before we go any further, Gary, just please tell us, where are you right now? You're in a home somewhere, for those of you who can't see on the podcast, but whereabouts are you? I'm at my home in uh, Cape Town. Awesome. Um, really cool that we can do this online and you can be wherever you are and I can be wherever I am and people get to listen in and that's pretty cool. But before we go any further, um, this is a personal from me to you, uh, a massive thank you for all the joy that you have brought to me. Um, I have, I was avid cricket supporter and I have spent hours and hours and hours in front of the screen watching you, watching you play, uh, watching you score thousands of runs. And I just want to say thank you for the joy that you brought to me. Phenomenal, really phenomenal. And thank you. You must have had a lot of time on your hands. <laughs> I did. I really, really did. Especially at those times. So we're not too far apart in age. You're three years older than me. And um, so I was you know, sort of similar ages and watching and studying and then into okay. a career. And I, I made time because it was just so, so amazing to watch. <laughs> Those of you who don't know, um, Gary, left-handed batsman, um, 101 test matches for South Africa, 185 one-day internationals for South Africa. Um, and Gary, at one point in time, you had the highest score for South Africa. And that was against India. I mean, sorry, England, if I remember correctly. I think 14 and a half hours um, at, at the crease, 275 runs. Is that right? Yes, it is. Yeah, it was a, it was a interesting time in my career. There, I was about to get left out of the team. Um, if in fact, if I hadn't scored in that innings, that that would have been my Test career over. So, um, when I when oh. I managed to get through that initial, always that initial tricky patch, and started to build a little bit of confidence in my game again, I decided I wasn't going to stop. I was just going to keep going. <laughs> I, I actually didn't. I didn't know that. That's that's quite quite amazing. That really is big match temperament, eh? All the pressure on, everything to lose, and two hundred and seventy five runs. 
And how did that feel? Well, ironically, it's it's actually when you've when when the expectation's gone and you, you you don't expect to do well, you actually often play your best, and that's what we're trying to do with young players at the moment is to try and um, instead of heightening expectation, try and lower the expectation, and that's generally where we, you know, where I think players are allowed to express themselves that you know making a mistake and and accepting failure that that, it, that, that you can learn from failure, you know, um, so that it's all right yeah. and. Uh, so, so it's almost counterintuitive anyway, you know, everyone, you know, you perceive to be able to handle pressure and, you know, the best are, are, are kind of embrace it. And, you know, I want to be the top for performer in, in the most pressurized moments, but actually when we at our best is when we in flow and, and we're not thinking and we, we, we don't think ahead of the result. We just absolutely yeah. in the moment. And I think, you know, I, I wish I'd got it more in my career. I didn't get it enough. I was always thinking about what I looked like and whether I was going to be good enough and everything. So I was always fighting my demons in the, in, in a match, but uh, it's a beautiful yeah. place to be when you're just in that moment and you don't even think about what's happening. The next ball, you're just waiting for that ball and you're living in the moment. Um, there can be no yeah. greater way to live than in the moment. Wow. I, I definitely didn't expect to start this chat <laughs> with, with that <laughs> sort of power. And that is, it's such a valid thing from a purpose point of view. And it's exactly the same. I think so many people battle to get to this place where they live a life of purpose and meaning because their expectations of what it should be mm. um, stop them from getting there. It's, it, we've got this idea, it's got to be big. It's got to be a 275 runs against England playing for South Africa. That That's purpose. But that's not where it starts. And, mm. um, and you know, the purpose, as you say, is in the moment. It's saying my purpose is to be in the moment and to respond to whatever ball comes at me um, and play the shot. Um, yeah. and, and that that really is purpose. And and it's not yeah. something that has to be in the future. It's a feeling um, now. So in terms of the six steps that I've identified in this path to purpose, the first one is all about what makes you feel happy, what gives you joy, what makes you feel like you have meaning. And that is always about the moment, you know, where happiness isn't a destination. It's how we feel right now. So what a powerful place to start this chat. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, I, I agree with that, 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 that for me, um, I think we find our purpose in, in our journeys. I agree with you. It's not a destination. Yeah. We don't find our purpose in a destination. And because the destination su suggests that it's a goal, it's a dream, it's a, you've reached something. Sure. But, but I think our true purpose lies in the, the journey of success and failure. The problem is we've been, I think we've been conditioned to believe that success is is where we find our meaning and our purpose. Correct. So we look for that all the time. We're always looking for success. We're looking for the result. And when we don't get that result, we 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 kind of we don't have our purpose. Yes. But when you learn that purpose is actually is success and failure, and it's the journey that you're on, it takes away that anxiety and that expectation of the performance. Sure. Uh, really powerful words, those, um, and so true. So, Gary, can easier we easier said than done, though? Easier <laughs> said than done. <laughs> but that's it. That's it. And that's why you're here, and that's why I'm so excited because you know you, you've got a wealth of experience of being at the the sharp end of cricket South Africa playing, um, and then this wealth of experience of trying to help other people to get there. So you've been able to help other people along their own journey of purpose. So a very wise and and um, admirable place to be and so yeah, you know, that's why you're here and that's why i was so happy when you agreed to come and chat to me but gary let's just start at the beginning for a second your cricket journey you know how did that come about and and, and at what point did it feel like this was your purpose at you know back then i uh, never really 
I, was, uh, I, I didn't think I was good enough, you know, to, to play the game at the highest level. And oh. um, I, you know, I was just bumbling along, just getting through school. And I got a sports scholarship to go to UCT and I messed around academically, didn't qualify then, managed to qualify mm-hmm. much later, but not then. Um, and I was just messing around, living the high life and just uh, drifting. Eh? I think that's a good word. I was drifting. Drifting. And actually not um, doing overly well in, at my cricket either. And um, I think we all have moments in our lives where um, there's a wake-up call. And I think that wake-up call for me came from a, a probably my most significant cricket mentor that I've ever had, a guy by the name of Duncan Fletcher, mm. who was the who ended up going to coach England for, for many years. Um, but he was actually my university coach. And okay. um, yeah, he stopped me after I just got a hundred in a club game and he kind of stopped me and he said, you know, I've, I've just watched you bat in this game. And like, I want to know where you're going with your cricket. What are you seeing? And I just said to him, I'm seeing nothing. I'm just having a jaw playing club cricket, you know? Um, sure. And he said, well, I just want to let you know that I think you can go all the way. And it was a very profound thing he said to me um, because he believed in me more than I believed in myself. And then he said, if you, if you want to make the call that you want to go all the way, come on Monday back to training and we'll start the journey mm-hmm. together. So I did. I said, listen, I want, to, I want to try and give cricket a go professionally. And um, he said, okay, well, your behaviors need to change. <laughs> he, said, <laughs> he said, two practices a week and spending more time in the pub um, at UCT than… I'm not going to get you there. Yeah, I'm not going to get you there. So I said, well, what do I need to do? So he says, yeah. well, from today you're going to start hitting 1,000 balls a week and uh, you're going to start putting a lot more effort into your game. Sure. <laughs> so that was a significant moment for me in, in that initial yeah. part of my career, yeah. You've made it this far, probably because the topic resonated with you. If you're wondering what the show is all about, listen to the trailer at the start of the season and find out how this show is going to help you along your own path to purpose. You've stumbled on a project that is all about purpose. Find out why the guests are all so vastly different, but yet all have so much in common. Hop on board this journey with me, follow the Enrichment Project so that you don't miss out on a single episode and share it with, well, everyone. We are all looking for more meaning in our lives. If the show speaks to your identity or the identity of your brand, consider sponsoring a season. Let's make the circle bigger. Back to the episode and thanks for listening. It's interesting that, that so many of us wait for that time. When, when, if so, when somebody else believes in me, then I can deserve to believe in myself. Yeah. And uh, as a speaker, that's, that's also been hard it, for me is you, know, you stand in front of an audience, but... You only get booked if people believe that you are worth something, but how do you show them that you're worth something because you're not getting booked? Yeah. So it's, you, know, you, you have to take that step of self-belief that says, I'm just going to put myself out there. And, and when their eyes light up at that point, then maybe I can believe in myself, but that's too late. You know, and that has been, it's been a struggle for me my whole life is, you know, I put a book out there this year called The Power of Purpose. And a lot of that is about my journey of unbecoming and, and having to you know, this very insecure person, the conditioning, exactly as you said earlier, about who we have to become yeah. um, to be liked or to fit in or to get that yeah. job or to find that life partner. And then when you realize that you don't have to do that anymore, and for me, that was a six-month cancer prognosis, you can become the most authentic version of yourself. But at that point in time, the crisis is, but who am I? I've spent so much time trying yeah. to be everything 
And how do I find that confidence myself? Which is a very interesting, it's a scary place to be, but an empowering place to be. And when did you find the answer? <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know, Gary. <laughs> so, so, I've, so, so what I've done, right, is it's tattooed on my arm here. That I, so after I went to intermission the first time, it was like, okay, we need to really explore this identity. So I am, two most powerful words, whatever follows determines who you are, right? Huh. And the first three words were easy. I'm strong, I'm authentic, I'm love, because it was all about my girls. And, and part of my journey of purpose is, um, is surviving brain cancer, beating brain cancer, yes. so that my two little girls don't live without a dad. Um, and I know you get that with your three. Yes. And so the first three were great. And then it starts to get hard. It's like, what would you write? You know, so I, this is something I explore with people. And in terms of life coaching and biz, business coaching, and this is one of the questions I want to ask you later where you start with coaching, is I start with the identity. I want to know who you are. I want to know why, you know, what, what, what is, who's this, this stuff, the secret source that is you? What is that? Because then I can work with the rest. Um, but nice. until we get to the bottom of that, and very often it's the hardest part. Yeah. And people, they, they instinctively tell you what they are. They say, no, I'm Gary. I am a cricket coach. I am a father. I am a husband. I am a brother. I'm, you know, I'm all these things. So here's something interesting. You know, how long would it take for you to say, I am happy? Yeah. You know, it's not something, it's not something we think about, do we? Yeah. Um, you're not allowed to be happy. Really... You're not allowed to be happy. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. You're not allowed to lose. Uh, okay, so you're not allowed a... to lose, eh? That's to be. You can't no, lose. you definitely, you definitely are not allowed to lose. <laughs> so I am a professional. I might not be a professional cricketer. So I was the captain of the second team at school. I what school was that? Team. Uh, I was Northcliffe High. Well, I'm, I'm, so good old I'm, sorry, school. I'm sorry for you, but uh, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> now I'm <in> jacking <laughs> <laughs> So I was a demon bowler. I was so quick. Oh, were you? Zero direction and zero control. <laughs> we can <laughs> work like, with speed. I will get any... you. We'll get you accurate. We can work with speed. <laughs> Thank you very much. Fabulous. I'm in. Um, but what I was really good at in my cricket career was I was probably the best armchair coach and um, an umpire that I think has ever lived. So, yeah. and I, I would call it, yeah, typically. And it was like, I could tell you what you were doing wrong, Gary, and, and why you were losing and what the hell was wrong with you, Jeez. And the, which sounds like the average South African cricket supporter, <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? That's exactly. It's exactly right. You know, you're, you're not allowed to lose it. And, um, and so much pressure from that point of view. Yeah. But okay, let's get back. So that profound moment. And um, I also want to get into how you have been that person. You've been a Fletcher to other people um, in their careers because it really is that. It's, it's that somebody believes in me. They think that I am better than I think I am. So what happened next? Yeah, then I started to do well. Eh? Um, so I think what I think what happened was I, um, from a career perspective, you know, just a bit more application. I think the one thing that I always mm -hmm. had inherently within me um, was this desire to prove to people or this determination to prove to people that I was good enough because I think I was I, a lot of people you know, you know throughout my career thought I wasn't good enough to get to the certain levels and it was almost like that was my driver to always prove to sure. people that I was good enough you know so I actually quite enjoyed yeah. um, when I reflect back I quite enjoyed having the label of being the guy who wasn't that talented but just kept you know, the numbers kept proving, proving that the he underdog. was. Yeah, yeah. I quite enjoyed that yeah. tag. Um, in fact, I actually responded really well in that space, whereas I responded very poorly when people started to tell me how good I was and, and, and you know, got in the media sure. and say, oh, Kirsten's the main guy to get out and opposition team. I, I hated that because that was now, that was like, that was like, I'm, I'm not that guy. Just let me, 
play under the radar and I'll make the plays and I'll yeah. do it with as much resilience and determination, but don't tell me that I'm better than anyone else because I'm not. And, you know, like I didn't want to, I didn't, that wasn't the part I wanted to play. So, yeah. um, and, and then that becomes some, some kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. It's just stories yeah. we take us, uh, tell ourselves become reality. Yeah, it becomes a reality. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I just, you know, I was, undo I, that? I, it's difficult to undo it. And, um, um, I, I think I was able to undo it later on in my career when I had um, a greater understanding of performance um, and a right. greater awareness around um, the value of failure. And um, I, be I began yeah. to get a, a better perspective of that. So it made it easier for me to manage um, the result. The result is the most lethal word in life. The result. Yes. <laughs> I hate that, the word. That, that, that is 100% <laughs> true. So there are two words there, result and finished. We want yeah. something to be finished. Um, and, and yeah, and res, a result, exactly that, with, 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 with happiness, with, with purpose, it's the result. And most people who've achieved something remarkable only really figure out the result or, or, or that they've got to a place when they look back. So what's quite interesting is um, I had an awesome chat. Uh, so a couple of people that you relate to. Num number one, um, Carl Brown. We had a chat. What a man. Um, what a man. This week. What, what an incredible man. It was the he most was relaxed chat. He's so humble. And it's, yeah. yeah. And, and similar story to you in that he, 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 did, he didn't get to Craven Week and didn't crack um, what he thought was the results. And then somehow, uh, you know, somebody looked at him and said, hey, come come to a, a practice, um, same as you. And that was the beginning. It's such a, it's a very, very similar journey. And even looking back you know, at, at him and saying there are times that I didn't like rugby. I didn't like mm. rugby. And, and because I put so much pressure on myself for the result, we didn't even go and celebrate afterwards you know, with the team. We, we, we were like, we'd had a cup of coffee. It was like, okay, cool. We won that tournament. That's great. But there's another one next week. And what about that? Are we going to win again? Are we going And getting to this point of, of real depression and dark and, and thinking maybe I need to feign an injury because I don't want to pitch and play on Saturday because of this pressure. Um, so, so very, very interesting. And then one more. So Ava de Gude, um, so, so Tim Drummond, I don't know if you know him. He's the South African hockey uh, captain has been for a while and he's engaged to Ava de Gude and she's the Dutch hockey captain and she's been voted female player of the year two years in a row, uh, international Fo um, hockey federation. And I said to her, I asked her, so, you know, surely you're playing out your purpose in this game. And she's like, no, I don't, I don't think that I'm, is my purpose. And I'm like, okay. And that's the idea of purpose has to be the result, this big thing. And I'm saying, no, hold on. What is hockey to you? And when we started to unpack that question, we realized, no, actually I, I, I play hockey because I love the game and I love being part of a team. And that gives me a sense of purpose. Mm. So it's a very, very interesting um, sort of dynamic to think about from a results mm. point of view and, and what the pressures we put on ourselves. Mm. No, absolutely. I think, uh, I think the result sometimes, you know, if you think of a, I mean, if, if you just say the word result, it, it drops my shoulders. It's like, you know, you, I think of my kids, you know, you know, what are your exam results? And like, everyone goes, Oh, yes, that's here. And then one of the kids did well. And we all go, yay, did well. Yes. Another kid didn't do well. And we all go, I mean, uh, how, do, how terrible is that? I hate the word yeah. result. It's terrible. I don't, I don't yeah. live my life for the result. 
Yeah, I love that. So, so one of the examples I use about uh, resilience and people say, no, I'm not resilient. And no, I don't, I'm not tenacious and I don't have the ability to overcome. And I say, okay, hold on two seconds. Can you walk? Yes, I can. Okay. Well, most of us can, unless there's some kind of disability or something happened. And I'll take them back to that time and say, okay, Gary, imagine when you were learning to walk. And because you're such an overachiever, you probably started at like seven months where the rest of us were nine months to a year. But anyway, so there's that time where Gary is wobbling around and you take one step and you, you, you brace yourself yourself in something and then you fall over, which is failure, right? You, you try to you try to walk and you failed. You fall down on the ground and then the response is normally like, eh, that really hurts, you know? And what did your parents do? They rewarded your failure with, hey, well done, Gary. There was one step more than you did the last time. And, and they really encouraged you to fail and to fail and to keep on falling and getting up and keep on falling and getting up until eventually you learned to walk. So that's spectacular resilience. That's a great analogy. Yes. I'm going to use that. Uh, can I use what, that? Please do. For sure you can. For sure it's yours. And, and here's the question that's even more powerful. At what point in time did your parents stop rewarding and applauding your failures? When was that? And why? Because then we go to school and the school says A is a for A, okay, and, and F is F for failure, and that's bad. So there's yeah. some people that don't even like to use the word failure. No, it's a learning. It's not failure. There's no such thing as failure. I call BS on that. It, it is failure. It's only failure if you fail to learn from it. But failure Correct. is good. Failure is important. Failure is it's how we learn anything in life is failure. Absolutely. Um, you know, so I, I love the fact that you use the word failure. Well done. <laughs> good. Let's move forward. So let, let's go with this one. This is a good place to lead on from. Your biggest failing, your biggest failing in your cricket career, what was that? Um, well, I've got many failings outside of my cricket career, but I was the perfect cricketer. <laughs> Only joke. <laughs> I was choked on my water there. My biggest failing in my... There's the armchair coach coming out. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, I had so many. I, 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 think, I think for me was... Um, not, um, I think, not being able to really play the game to my full expression of talent. I think that was my greatest failure. I played the game to make a performance. Mm -hmm. So what I so so I learned how to sure. I learned how to do that. And you made the comment earlier that Carl yeah. um, often didn't enjoy the game he was playing well i went through many occasions yeah. where scoring runs was a sense of relief so i i lived my life through the results so i felt good about myself when i scored mm -hmm. runs and i felt depressed when i didn't score runs and i played the game my mm -hmm. biggest failure as a cricketer was i never explored my talent enough i learned a way mm -hmm. to perform and i was driven by the performance so my biggest failure is i never got better i never improved yeah because I just, I just became streetwise in how to make a performance. And it was a horrible way to yeah. play cricket. <laughs> That's an extremely, extremely authentic and vulnerable thing to say, um, Gary. And as I listen to you, I'm thinking of myself as a professional speaker and someone in, in my life often where I, I can really identify with that. And as much as I want to be authentic and raw as a speaker and never be scripted, that also prevents me from getting better because I'm never... Um, you're become, trying to become better as a speaker, not just somebody sharing a story as a storyteller. And 
So, so I'm going to own that one. And thank you for, you thank can you have for making me think but, about myself. But you know what the amazing thing about it is we're scared to fail because we're conditioned to, to not yes. fail. So we're scared to fail. So, mm. I mean, I, I'm, I see it with young kids. I see it with, uh, with my kids as well. I can't stand that. I can't stand that yeah. being scared to fail. You know, it's, it's, the uh, it's, that's the only way where we can grow. We can only grow through failure. Yes. So I wasn't allowed to, I mean, one of the first things that was said to me when I was a young player playing for South Africa, Gary, you, you know your role. Okay. And I was very good at it. You know your role. Mm. If you get, if you get out trying to hit the ball over the top, we are going to lambaste you when you come off the change, to, up, back to the change room because that's not your strength. You can't that's do that. That's not your role. Yeah. Now that's a horrible so thing to say to yeah, it's a horrible thing to say to someone yeah. because I I was never able to kind of explore a little bit more, take on a bit more risk. Yeah, because you're always scared if you take mm. the risk and you get out, and then you don't make uh, two or three performances, they leave you out the team. You know, rather than yes. saying this kid's got talent, I'm going to let him explore, even if he makes some mistakes. I'm going to let yeah. him explore and make the mistakes. You know why? Yeah. Because I back him down the line. I'll take the heat now if the team doesn't do well. But down the line, I yeah. know that that guy's going to be a champion. So I want him to make mistakes you. now so that he can be a yeah. champion later. You know? See, these are the coaches that we need in our lives, right? <laughs> these are the people that um, yeah, we, we do. And, and so, so you know, our, our responsibility, Gary, is to learn from that and not be that person for our own kids and to teach them not to be like that for their kids, you know, and, and that's the best we really can do. So I also own that with mine. So I'm, I'm a sports mad person and somebody who's excelled at sport and and my kids didn't want to play sport in in most primary school it was it was and it was exactly that it was this this fear of being shown up this fear of not being good enough or failing and um I, that was hard for me and i didn't want to push them either because i didn't want them to look back one day gee that gee said you're one of those dads who lived your life through us and you pushed us to, to do things we didn't want to do but but then i also didn't want them to grow up and say dad but why didn't you encourage us why didn't you push us more so i've always asked you know i'm going to try i'm going to try and encourage as much as i can and build up the confidence but at the end of the day it's got to be your decision um it's a really tough space to be in as a parent without a doubt and i mean i go through that as well i i always believe that we can nudge we can always nudge um uh, i always i always say to my i always say to my my kids i don't care what happens on saturday but i do care what Mm. happens during the week um, right. You know, you like, like, I, like, I'm going to nudge you to put in the effort. Um, yes. But whatever happens, if, if, if the effort's there, it's irrelevant what yeah. happens on the weekend, what happens on the Saturday, because, uh, that's life for me. And those are where the life lessons sit and, and where your values come from. It comes from effort. Um, yeah. So I stay away, I stay away from the, I stay away from reflecting on the, on the weekends. I reflect during the week, during training. <laughs> That's good. That's a good lesson. Uh, so, Gary, just, just coming on from that values and life lessons, right? You, you have always been, and I started off this chat saying, one of my cricketing heroes. And you you really, really are that person and remain that person. And um, throughout your career, um, the interviews afterwards, the the how you've conducted yourself, the team player, the, the, the just the, – the, I think one of the things I, I detest the most – in people who are extremely talented and extremely good at what they do is when the attitude comes with that. And I've never seen you as, as that person. You, you've I just always hi- been I just hide it well, you- Richard. I just hide it well. 
<laughs> well, well, that's where we're going with this. <laughs> so, so what I want to know, right, is you said to me earlier that you some some failures off the field. Um, talk to me about some of those. What are those? Very, very selfish person as a professional. Very selfish. It was only it was only when I became married that I realised how selfish I was. Actually, it was all about me. Right. And you know, I was conditioned. You know, one track mind. If you want to become the best in the world. Everything else falls away. You put your blinkers on and you head in that direction. Is it right or wrong? Gonna... I think there's a, I think there's a moment in time where that is okay. I think there is a moment yeah. where that is okay, but it, it it doesn't last for long because you need community. You know, you need people around you. You need a support system, yeah. um, and and you need to and you need to honour that community. So, um, so so selfishness can't last. It's got no place. I think it's got a place for a for a moment in time, but it can't last. And I think I learned that, you know, as I went along, I'll give you an example. My, my wife said to me, we'd been married for, I've been retired now. I was, I've been married for 21 years. I've been retired for, for 16 years. Okay. Right. Um, um, and she told me we'd been married for about three years. And she said, she made a comment to me um, while I was still playing. And she said, um, you know, you've actually become a horrible person just before games. Ouch. <laughs> just before games. <laughs> as long as it's just before games. <laughs> yeah. And, and why? Because yeah. I just didn't, I didn't want to talk to anyone. I just wanted to focus on what I needed yeah. to do. I was nervous. I was anxious. So it, in that, for, for that period of time, it was about me. And yeah. then we realized when you have other sure. people in your life, you're quite, it's not just about you, you know. <laughs> So um, she used to say to me, we'd, play, we'd, finish, we'd, we'd finish a test match day and I'd fielded the whole day yeah. and she had flown across the world to be with me. And um, yeah. we got, I'd get back to the hotel room and, and she'd say, what do you want to do? And I said, well, to be honest, I just want to lie in my bed and go to sleep. And she said, no, you're not lying in your bed. We're going out. <laughs> so she'd make yeah. me have a shower and you get up and we're going out because I've also been, I've been, Traveling across the world to be with um, you. I've shown up for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You better show up for me. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, you slapping me around, silly. Yeah, <laughs> because my own Deborah. So your wife's name is Deborah. I've also got a Deborah, and um, I get like that. No, nowhere near the same. It's not a world stage packed stadium. Um, but in t a speaking gig, getting bef before that, I get I get stressed. I, yeah. I, I really do. Uh, even even this morning. So she closed my laptop, and I had a couple of of um, pages open on Google because I you know just want to, in terms of where I want to go today with this. And we got to the studio, and she had packed it away and close it all and, and in my first response was but i had what did you do with that stuff the page is open what you know i get stressed <laughs> it's really not cool you know yeah. it really isn't so so i you know it's, those, those are important lessons and it's hard because we're so focused on our purpose we're so focused on what we wanted to get out of this thing and this is our living it's how we earn an income and it's we've, we, we've got an idea of what we want to get out of this and 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 to make space for other people who are important in our lives is is equally as important and yeah. again through the cancer you learn that and in fact my tribe got smaller throughout the cancer it was it was why are these people in my life why am i friends with these people am i friends with them because we went to school together am i friends because we played in the same team together yeah. are, are they friends because of what i'm hoping i can get from them at some stage facebook tells us we're friends why am i friends with these people yeah and the most authentic version is if I've got six months to live, I'm going to spend the time with people who are my tribe, people I really want to spend yeah. time with. And why is that? And how do I show up? Um, and some very valuable, very valuable lessons. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. It's amazing.
Sure. I'm going to have to play this chat again to myself, like over and over and over again. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, so tell me about Deborah and, and touring with you. I mean, what was that like? It can't be all glamorous, surely. No, it's not all glamorous, but she, yeah, I mean, she's, she's my rocker without her. I've I've got nothing. I mean, I think she, she, she's my moral compass, you know, I think, um, you know, as a professional sportsman, you, you the, the the one trapping is that well there are many trappings but the one trapping is mm-hmm. you you um you get swept up in the hype of of being a professional sportsman and all the trappings that come around it and mm-hmm. i was not immune to that you know but i think um after devs and i got together um as i was 28 at the time um she was 22 i think and 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 we got together and and i think she you know, she has strong uh, value system. Came from a, a, a Christian home and a strong, you know, really, really yeah. strong values. A father who who literally challenged the status quo, right? Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, yeah, I think it just gave me a moral compass. So, so having her in my corner um, was was mm. massive for me. But the one strength that she's got is she calls she calls it as she sees it. You know, she's not just a mm submissive y'all get on the road with you and just be happy to be here kind of thing she cha- she, yeah. she continues to challenge me and you know i always say happy like happy wife happy life eh? so like uh she's the she's the minister of home affairs i just i'm just a spare part here <laughs> so i'm just happy just to make sure that she's happy that uh, i'm doing what i need to be doing eh? <laughs> and you're cleaning up behind yourself as well um so exactly uh, um who who yeah, her book though, and I know that was a first for somebody, um, a wife of someone like yourself, international cricketer, a first to to put out her own book and her own message, um, chai tea and ginger beer, mm. and the story of of her journey around yeah. the world with you and three kids and hotel rooms and washing over the the bath and you know supporting you and it's it's an incredibly insightful view from the inside of some of the challenges some of the highlights too obviously but some of the challenges and it's quite remarkable actually um and you have a remarkable deborah there in your corner yeah thank you but i think for her you know as you say you talk about um you know everyone's got to have a purpose on their journey you know and for Mm. for deb's it was it was that she loves writing um and she realized that uh you know um we made the decision that we wanted to have a, a a big family, which which is a real blessing that we that we do have one. Um, and yes. often, what happens to that is is something's got to give, you know, because you've got to look after these three kids. So, yeah. so so she's you know we all try we're all chasing our careers, and then and then suddenly now our cheapest, but there, there's a there's a big career here and looking after these three kids, and who's going to do that kind of thing? <laughs> that, you that's know? a that's a purpose in itself. Yeah, right? and I, I think what happens, especially because it's generally the women that have to pick up the pieces there. And then they end, yeah. they end up uh, not being able to, and they lose, and I think often they can lose their purpose through that. And, yes. and they, and they can't express their talents and their joy uh, for life. And uh, um, I think Debs at times, she felt that. So, you know, I, it was important for me to allow her to have the space to pursue to be her, her purpose. And to be her. Yeah. And to be her. Yeah. Her own Absolutely. purpose. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I try so, to so I try Joshua, to support her as much as I could through that process, but the book is is a, just a fascinating yeah. read of, as you say, of life behind the scenes uh, with a family. I mean, it's yes. completely being a cricket coach and trying to be, you know, a family man. They they they're at opposite yes. ends of the scale. I mean, there are probably more stories of failed marriages in 
the cricket coaching world um, or, or, or dysfunctional marriages in the cr- cricket coaching world than in any other sport. You're just away so much. I mean, it's almost impossible to operate yeah. in, a, in a functional manner. Yeah. Sure. Okay, we, we are going to get into that. So just, just very quickly first. So Joshua, James, Joanna, yes. all the J's. Um, that's pretty cool. Um, where saving are on, they the, name, saving on the name old? tags, huh? JK. Exactly. JK, we just save on the name tags. JK. <laughs> that's very cool. So um, we hinted at it. So I haven't, do you know what? I haven't even gone there with the, the Hansi debacle and how it must have felt to be a part of that team at that time in, in deep crisis. Um, mm. And how, how do you still keep on playing to your purpose and a team's purpose when there's just so much else that's hitting you from all sides where the fan base is sitting in shock and trauma? Can you just briefly take me through that? Yeah, Richard, that was a really tough period um, and, a, and a difficult period in my life and with the team. You know, we were quite an established uh, well-oiled, well-drilled team under Hansi. Um, here was our our commander-in-chief who was sure. the kind of the, the, the most respected guy around and he was a larger-than-life personality, great performer on the field, led the team really well. I've got a lot to thank him for my career because uh, he kept picking me mm. and kept believing in me. So it was a hard thing to swallow when this broke out. I think we all, when I say all, I mean, I certainly had inklings that – there was stuff going down that was was not kosher, um, but we yeah. kind of chose to to not engage it too much. We chose to be naive around mm. it. You know, um, mm. you got to go back to the mid the late nineties when when there was talk of match fixing. It was so new and archaic in cricket. It was almost like it was glossed over. You know, there was no education around it. There was no checks and balances around it. So you kind of just got it if someone got away with it. So what, you know, no one really understood it. Yeah. We never engaged enough, but it kind of got to heat. It started to heat up a little bit and we started to understand it a bit more. Yeah. And then, and then we realized that Hansi was, was kind of fully involved. It was really just a, just a, a difficult time. And then he, I'll never forget a meeting in Durban. We were just about to play Australia and um, he just sat the team down and he said, listen, I've been lying to you. I'm guilty. I've done it. And Wow. We were playing Australia the next day in a start of a three uh, one day series. How, how do you? How we do you we just didn't know what together. to do. Sean Pollock phoned me up that afternoon, so he he calls the meeting. Sean Pollock mm. phones me up and and he just says, "I'm I'm the you know I'm the new captain. I'm going to need your help here." And uh, I was probably the most other, other senior player in the team at that time, and we managed to get the game delayed a day so that we could uh, just recoup, you know. And we ended up yeah. winning the series. We, we, we played some really good cricket. It was like in absolute adversity, we pulled together as a group. I remember that game two days later, I got 96 in Durban. And it was the most emotional I've ever felt on a cricket field. I walked, I walked off the field and I burst into tears. You know, it was like one of those things. It was just such an emotional time. We won the game. Um, yeah. And yeah. So but maybe again, that's the expectations. Back to when you you don't expect to when when the rag's been pulled out exactly. from underneath you and you know, exactly and again nothing to lose and and I'm also pretty sure that there was some anger some stuff there's some real stuff that comes out yeah everyone processed it differently you know mm. my overriding thought uh, during that time was I felt sorry for Hansi I really did you know I, um, I can totally I've, understand that I've uh, you know I think we we've all done things that we regret in our lives. Um, 
sometimes mm. we get away with it because no one finds out what we've done, you know. Um, and yeah, Hansi's been exposed. It wasn't the right thing to do, but who are we to, you know, cast judgment on on a mistake that he's made, you know. Um, I understand where people are angry around it, but I chose not to be angry. I chose to consider Hansi in the moment that he was going through, you know. Um, and in many ways, it, it, it kept my, it, it kept a, a piece in my heart around my reaction to it. Um, and also, it allowed me to reflect just on the fond memories I had with him as the captain. Um, the mistake had been made. There's no, there was no turning back. Yeah, you know, can't go back. We can't rewind this now um, and start mm-hmm. again and say, okay, let's check in and make sure it doesn't happen. So I just chose to respond in a way that uh, I could just get on with my life and just, yeah, I remember just trying to help Hansi where, you know, wherever we could. So again, I think that's a remarkable example of the human being that you are and, and just staying true to your values and, and who you are, uh, just being authentic, you know, and, and that's admirable because it could go any way. Yeah, I think many people chose to be angry, which is okay. You know, that yeah. Yeah, I think there was a lot of reason to be angry. And I just said, you know, like I've made many mistakes in my life. I, you know, I'm certainly not going to judge Hansi in this one. Yeah. So, so I, I get that from my own angle too. And um, so I was one of those people who always judged infidelity and judged people who had affairs and marriages that fell apart um, until that became me. And then from that minute on, I realized a very important lesson that um, how dare I judge anybody in any instance because, you know, nobody gets up one day and says, hey, I think it's a great day to have an affair, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, nobody gets up one day and says, oh, this is a great day to get involved in match fixing. Yeah. It's not how it happens. Exactly. Um, and th- there's always a story behind that and there's always something. So that's been incredibly humbling for me to be on the other side of huge failure and mistakes. And just being open and vulnerable helps other people with their own. Absolutely. So, yeah, hats off to you, Gary. Okay, so... Let's talk about high points and low points, and and then we're going to move on to the coaching because that's I want to get some 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 of the dirty some meat there. on that bone, um, huh? Some meat on that bone. So for me, um, I'm an athlete. Something I was really really good at before cancer, and I used to think that my biggest highlight was uh, back in 2007. I was 37. I won my age group, came 16th overall in Ironman South Africa, first amateur athlete. So I won the amateur race, beat a whole bunch of pros, qualified for world champs. And at that time, at the time I managed to finish in, it really put me up in the very sharp end of my age group amateur Ironman. And it kind of thought I'm never going to beat that feeling of what that felt like to cross that finish line. Um, and then I did a another one a couple of years later with someone I think you know, actually, is Andrew Golding. He's a friend and ex-boss. And I went through him, I went through his first one and uh, our time was seven hours slower than the time I'd done you know, my best one at. It was a long day out there with, uh, with Andy. But that feeling of helping him cross the finish line and Tanya's wife was there and tears streaming down and daughter running down. It was just the most incredible feeling of I helped to help this person achieve their goal. And it's, we get into the coaching stuff now. And then I thought, wow, that's such a different feeling. And wow, how do I beat that? And then... 2017, so 10 years after my best finish, crossing the finish line with stage four brain cancer, something I didn't ever think I could do. Tears, Tears down my face, camera crew following me the whole race. Um, my two girls there putting the medal around my neck and just tears everywhere. I was a mess and my time was, was phenomenal. It was just, I didn't, still don't know how that happened. <laughs> and, and I look back now and I think I don't think I'll ever match that feeling. But every single one of those races had a different purpose. The one was high performance. The other one was for somebody else. The other one was to overcome brain cancer. Um, Your highs, your lows, your coaching, what stands out for you in terms of those moments and why? (laughs) Well, that's a broad question. eh? And I mean, and you covered it well in your 
your storytelling there, which was which is fantastic, and I think a lot of purpose through all of them. But um, yeah, I just I, I you know my answer to that is I think we're on this journey, you know, and we have different experiences, and we'll reflect. I mean, the way you've reflected on that is exactly the same as how I would reflect it. I could isolate moments, and I could say. Those are big moments. I mean, my 275 against England when I was, my, my career was on the line was a massive playing moment. You know, that was, that for me was adversity playing to my strength. I loved it when I was in, in mm. that space. So again, the underdog. Yeah, that was a big moment. I think getting my first test hundred as well at the Wanderers against England was a, a real stamp of approval. It was like, okay, I'm at a standard of excellence now separates me from a lot of others um so that was a big moment mm. for me personally in terms that i could do it at this level and then i think probably the, the day i retired for me was a was a big moment it was like i walked off the field and i couldn't control myself with tears but i think it was just cheap as you know i didn't even think i'd play one test here i'm walking off the field with my teammates lining up on the field um, you 101, know, tests. Yeah, 101 tests later and also couldn't control myself in that space and i it was just like, how did I get to this? <laughs> this is impossible. This wasn't meant to happen, you know. Here I am getting kind of celebrated off the field to play 101 tests for my country. Bizarre, you know. And then, you know, and then I think that journey I was think the average 45, yeah, 7,200 runs. Yeah, it was no, just no. a, it was it was just a constant. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to prove to people that I'm good enough to be at this level. And um, but anyway. Yes. And then I think the, the walk with the Indian team was just the most yes. privileged, blessed walk I've ever had in my life because I didn't think I could have much to offer them um, as a coach. And yet I became... And then MS Dhoni saying the greatest, yeah, the greatest thing for Indian cricket. But I just became really good friends with those guys, you know. And I think the beauty about that for me was, was here I was as a South African being celebrated mm. by another culture. I didn't even understand the language. Wow. I, to this day, I still can't speak Hindi. I, I, I don't understand the language. Um, I don't understand a lot of what they're saying. Um, yet it was a great example that, you know, that we can operate across cultures and diversities and we can get each other and we can see yes. what high performance looks like uh, in, an, in another culture and another group of people, you know, which yes. I went to India saying, you can only win if you do it this way. And I left India saying, Oh, that's how you win in, in an Indian context, which is very different that's to something. how I thought you could win, you know, or have success yes. um, in a team. So what that was a great that was learning fun. experience. And, and yeah. Okay. So in terms of your own purpose, Gary Kirsten, your purpose saying, all right, I'm going on this journey, leaving South Africa, this career I had, going to India. Um, and again, a lot of people weren't on board with that journey and didn't understand it. Um, I think I get it from a purpose point of view and, and your, for you, Gary, what was your next thing and where you felt that you had value? I don't know. What, what was that like for you? Yeah, it was the, the, how I got the job was, was it was all a little bit weird and wishy-washy. I mean, I'd had no coaching experience. Um, and then I was offered this job, you know, and I, I went to the interview and they said, do you want to coach this team? You know, like the interview was two minutes, you know, and it was just a bizarre <laughs> process. And I remember ca ca flying, awesome, flying home from that interview and then, you know, phoning my wife up and saying, listen, they've, um, I've been offered this job. And like suddenly now it dawned on us that this is going to be deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> mm. And it kind of, deeply. it kind of was in that space that it, 
made us realize, well, that's why we've got to do it. <laughs> Remarkable. You know, it's a bizarre thing, isn't it? Mm. It is almost like for us, we find our purpose through the deep discomfort. We find our purpose through the pain. We find our purpose through the, you know, through what doesn't feel right, what's not comfortable. Um, we're having a journey that, that with our eldest son at the moment, we're making quite a big, uh, which potentially could be a big decision for him uh, in terms of his education. And um, where we potentially are considering is deeply uncomfortable for him because it's away from his mates. Mm. It's away from what he knows. Mm. But I'm at a deep sense of peace around it because it's through that discomfort where he might grow and have a, an experience that will be second to none. Correct. I, I really, I really dig that. So uh, the last step for me in terms of this journey of path to purpose is um, the T, um, and that is tackle the cost. Everything comes at a cost. It's choose your level of discomfort because there isn't anything that doesn't come without discomfort. And that's exactly where the growth is. And as you say, where the purpose is revealed. Um, so very, very true. Um, okay, so um, we're going to close off. Um, I could chat to you forever, um, and I know that you've got somewhere to be. But so two things I, I, I just want to ask. And, and the first one is from a sense of purpose. So say one day Gary isn't around to talk about Gary and other people are. What would you most want to be celebrated for in terms of the impact that you've made on this planet? Yo, that is quite a question. And uh, I don't know if I know the, the answer offhand. I think for me – um, the, the people that have meant the most in my life have allowed me to become aware of who I am. So I think mm -hmm. if, if I was able to leave that with people, just to allow them to have a greater awareness of who they are and have an influence in that, regardless of where they end up, I think that would be a, it would be a great purpose, you know, and certainly something that mm -hmm. I try to do every day of my life. Um, Interestingly enough, I'm in the coaching space and I've learned to be, I'm learning, sorry, not learned. You never, that's, that's not a word. Learned is not a word. I'm learning <laughs> to be yes. um, more curious. I want to know more. I want to learn more mm. about you. I want to ask you more questions. I want to understand more of you. And I'm finding that it's, a, yeah, it's an incredibly fulfilling place to be when you're asking questions. Mm. And, but when you're asking questions with purpose, with curiosity, so to, yeah. for people to help people find their their meaning and their purpose and their direction is is uh, would be great. You you can't have that job because that that's mine, <laughs> Kerry, and that's the reason I'm interviewing you there for a book about helping people. There's two of us can do it. Two of us they, can do it, can't they? Yeah, they are. <laughs> uh, absolutely, that is it, and it, it's a thrill for me. Is that I, I've discovered my purpose? What an incredible thing! And that's every single day if I can make an impact. So that's enrich. It's the enrichment project. Lovely. It's just to enrich other people's lives and and help them to think slightly differently. So. Last question is from a coaching perspective. So somebody new comes along or a team comes along. Where do you start? Where do you start the coaching process? Simple. One word. You've got to build trust. You've got to build trust. Yeah. That's where you start. So you actually don't start. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where you start is you don't start. You, you stop. This is, not, this is not a coaching intervention until yes. we get each other. This is, I, there's going to be zero coaching intervention until we get each other. Right. Until we start to understand each other, until until I can build just a small little bit of trust in your life, yeah, you can trust what I'm going to say. Until that, we don't have a coaching intervention. Okay, bang on the money. Um, so in terms of life coaching, I do in business coaching exactly the same. I'm starting sure. with your identity. I want to know why. I want to know who. I want to. I want to get that yeah. thing that is you. And then when we can do that, then we figure the rest out from there. 
Yeah. Um, Gary, uh, wow, what an absolute honor it has been for me. Um, thank you so, so much for your wisdom, um, for so many powerful things that you've said and for, for the journey of your life and for the impact that you're making on other people's lives. Um, I salute you and um, I can only just imagine what's coming next because I can just I know it just gets better all the time. So thank you so much. Yeah, and thank you for your, your journey and your inspiration as well. I mean, uh, touching many people's lives and good luck on the continued journey. Thank you, Gary. Cheers. Thank you for staying right to the end of the episode and for joining me on the Enrichment Project. Before you go, please share this episode with your friends and your colleagues. They will thank you, I'm sure. Remember that you can catch each Path to Purpose episode by watching on YouTube or if you prefer, on your favorite podcast app. The link to my book, The Power of Purpose, is in the show notes. Please go and check it out. It's a rad account of my own story of purpose and resilience and my fight against brain cancer. I finished six full Ironman events, a number of multi-stage mountain bike races, nine Ironman 70.3 races, including the Ironman World Championships and a bunch of other endurance events, all with stage four brain cancer because I wanted it that badly and getting to the finish line meant that much to me. As a professional inspirational speaker, business and life coach, author and storyteller, I'd love to add more value to you or your organization. Please find more details on my website, IamRichardWright.com and book me today for a live or virtual keynote, a masterclass, workshop or coaching session or please follow my journey on Facebook, I am Richard Wright, Twitter, The Right Rich, Instagram, I am Richard Wright or on LinkedIn. I'd love the opportunity to enrich your team. Thank you to the professional crew at Solid Gold Podcasts for the support, the talent, and the mad skills. And to Anna Hick for her creativity and genius video magic, thank you. You all rock. <laughs>